morning, everybody out there. This is the Better People, Better Business podcast, and uh, have another cracking individual who I'm having the opportunity to talk with today, Kelly Windle, uh, Dr. Kelly Windle. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Andrew. Thanks <laughs> for having me. Ah, it's an absolute delight. Um, and just as a bit of an introduction, uh, which we always do, just to help people understand who you are, at least in part. Um, Dr. Kelly Wendell is a psychologist and executive leader who speaks on the topics of the future of work, leadership and culture. She has 15 years global leadership experience and five tertiary qualifications because one is just never enough, is it? Not enough. Never enough. <laughs> um, Kelly's advised some of the world's leading organisations on how to evolve to better meet the future. A lot of people speak on the future of work, but Kelly's thought leadership is focused on an interesting and important part of the future of work. That's around the shared commitment to the future. She asks and answers the questions of, how do we mobilise people to swiftly grow and become future ready? It's a great question, and it's really lovely to have Kelly on the show today. So thank you, Kelly. Um, One thing I was just going to say from the start, it's really great for everybody who's listening. We really appreciate you having a having a listen, and I think yet again you're going to find some cracking, useful information. Um, I've known Kelly for uh, quite a few years now. We'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> and always enjoy the conversation and the wisdom that she brings. And uh, I don't think today is going to be anything short of equally as wonderful as usual. So um, <clears throat> one of the things we start off with, Kelly, with every person who I have the pleasure of chatting with is a simple question, which is, you know, the frame of this is better people, better business. When I say that, what do you hear? What do you go to? What do you think about from how you see the world? Yeah, it's such an awesome name. I remember when you launched this podcast and I went, better people, better business. That's why I do what I do. So I don't know if I've ever told you this story, actually, Andrew. I was, uh, when I was, so I'm a psychologist is my background and uh, you do six years training and the last two are specialised. And so I was in my fourth year going, oh, I don't know where I want to specialise. And I was also working for an airline at the time. So I was a frontline leader. Um, and I just kept going to work in context of studying psychology and I'd picked up a subject of organisational psychology, which is psychology in the workplace. Mm. And so I was going to work with all this sort of theory buzzing around my hair and I was looking, looking around at the workplace and I noticed a very distinct pattern that when people were well and they were feeling supported and they were happy, and I was a cabin supervisor at the time, so I was in con- control of setting the tone a lot for a team, best leadership lesson ever, flying. Mm. <laughs> Very um, concent- yeah, concentrated leadership lessons when you're in a mm. dynamic environment like that. And, mm. and I'd already noticed and learnt um, in my time flying that how I showed up to work completely set the tone and dictated how my crew then showed up to work. And it was mm. completely the difference between whether we had an awesome trip or whether we didn't, whether we had good customers through or we had annoying, grumpy customers through, whether things went well or everything went south. I literally concluded this all comes down to the attitude I bring to work Mm. and how I transfer that to the people I'm leading. Um, And then in my fourth year of studies, I'm in the airline and I'd got a bit more involved in a few committees like health and safety and things like that. And I started noticing that that's not just micro, that's macro. And when the business was making decisions that demonstrated care and connection to Mm. the crew and crew were responding to that, um, 
things were awesome. Like you'd walk around crib rooms and you'd be on flights and you'd be handing over planes and everyone just seemed in a happier mood and customers seemed happier and business just kind of rolled on. And on the days or the weeks when decisions were made that indicated not listening, not caring, prioritising money over service or everything else we'd been trained to deliver um, and essentially a business signalling, no, we're, we're over here and you're just working for us, mm. everything went south. And it was so obvious to me and it literally boiled down to better people is better business. It's better customer service. It's better um, engagement at work. It's better well-being for crew. I would see the difference. I'd feel it in myself as a frontline worker when mm. your business is making better choices for you and you feel like you're working together with that. The loyalty and the sense of commitment skyrockets. But most mm. importantly for me, given I was studying psychology, the well-being skyrockets as well. So this is a very long story and long answer to your question, but it's always resonated with me, better people, better business. And it's actually, Andrew, the reason I chose to then spend my next two years and my master's uh, studying organisational psychology and not a different field because I went, mm. wow, 80-plus percent of our population go to work every day, 80-plus percent are at risk of not coming home feeling well or energised or inspired because businesses are, are not even aware of some of the things they're doing. So I chose my field because I believe in better people equals better business. They're not mm. in contradiction. You you better one, you better the other. Yep. And uh, I, I so believe that I've built my career around it and I'm focused now on helping businesses and people do that in a way that makes sure we also have a better future. Mm. That's cool. That's a great story. And thank you for sharing. No, I hadn't heard that before. No, so it's very interesting. Um, yeah, one of the one of the comments, I mean, this often comes up when we talk, when I've talked to different people, is um, we talk about, you know, better people, better business. And one of the frames that I, I always like to make sure I'm very clear on is we're not saying the business is a thing. You know, business is nothing more than a bunch of people. Mm. Um, so they're just people. And and it's hard. It's just, you know, so better people, better business will Yes, um, but I think one of the things that we can often forget, and I'm sure you see this with the work you do, that people sometimes frame the business as a living thing, mm. um, as if it, it has its own, apart from a piece of paper in some sort of filing cabinet, it has some sort of existence. Um, I'm curious, like when you're doing that type of work, uh, how, how have you seen that play out? Have you seen it play out in useful ways and also unuseful ways, this sort of creating this thing that sits over here just interested awesome question awesome question and I actually have have two responses if I can one's quite an academic one so I actually have an academic answer to your question my PhD was in the field of what's called psychological contracts so a psychological contract is essentially what the individual employee perceives has been promised and exchanged between them and their employer which immediately from a research perspective begs the question of, well, what is employer, which is exactly what you're asking. Is it this entity? Is it representatives of the entity? Which representatives? Who, where, how many? Is it direct manager? Is it senior leader? Is it other employees? Is it the company's reputation? Fascinating. So my whole research had to really actually unpack what is this concept of organisation? Because I agree with you, it's simple a system of people. That's all it is. All businesses are, are a group of humans coming together, hopefully for united goals. Sometimes, yes, sometimes not. Uh, and it doesn't matter what we sort of build tangibly in and around that. At the end of the day, a business is still just a social system. 
And as a social system, it doesn't have a centre or singular point to, to peg to to go, oh, my contract is with you. So it's, it's really interesting. So, so academically, it was fascinating exploring that. And in parallel, I was consulting at the time um, to many organisations around a lot of things like culture change and um, organisational design and development and, and engagement. And the question always boils down to um, how do we get our people uh, really clear on what we need and really engaged and motivated behind that and then loyal and staying with that. So in, mm. in a sense, they're saying, how do we create a really awesome psychological contract? I mean, you've got your written contract, but then you've got this more important emotionally lad contract that the minute it started breached, breaching, we have all these emotional reactions to and you start to see engagement in particular, loyalty and, and those that sense of connection to an entity start to disappear and that can erode really gradually mm. over time. And where I've seen it, this management of the contract and this management of the relationship, is, which is what we're talking about, with yeah. an entity, where that gets managed really well is when you, the business has very competent representatives who are leaning into their role of my primary leadership role is as a relationship manager. I need to actively, proactively manage the relationship that we've established with every individual in this system. Mm. And I need to watch for when we make changes in that system for how that then impacts the felt experience of the relationship. Not the, We talk a lot about experience at work. There's experience of work and then there's the experience of the relationship you have with the system in which you are part of. In other words, my relationship with my organisation or my business. Yep. Yep. So the leaders that are doing that well are doing three things. They are visible, highly visible, and that doesn't, and people go, oh, but I'm not an extrovert. Oh, that's my favourite, most common one. I go, well, some of the most effective visible leaders aren't. Uh, yeah. it's, it's irrelevant. Your introversion, extroversion scale does not impact your ability to be visible or not, just changes maybe the mechanisms by which you are. Mm. Uh, so visibility, consistency is the other one. So they are visible. They are consistent, consistent in their visibility, consistent in their messaging, consistent in um, in the environment and the experience that they're creating for people, regardless of who that is. And the third thing that these leaders are, visible, consistent, they actively demonstrate care. And this is what, uh, that's how I define connection. So leaders who are truly connected, there's a lot of language around connected leadership at the moment. I define connected leadership as leaders who are actively demonstrating care. And that's not just communication. I've, I've let them know. Of course they know I care. I told them I did. I'm like, mm, that's really, yeah, you know, if you, your best friend came around and said, oh, but I told you that and then acted completely differently, would you be comfortable? That's not really, yeah. It's no. the same thing in a workplace, exactly the same. So leaders who are starting to think, and this is very much, um, you see a lot of younger leaders coming through and they're instinctively doing this because that's how they want to be led. Um, mm. Some of our um, more mature leaders have grown up in a world where that wasn't what was valued in leadership, but increasingly it is. And sociologically now with all the changes in the world and the experiences of pandemic and workers coming into the home more and that pastoral care element that's starting to be demanded of leaders, 
Uh, it is expected now that that is a valued skill and it is a skill. It is a skill that can be learned. All three are visibility, consistency and active demonstration of care. These can all be taught. And when that is done well by key representatives of the entity, the social system that we call a business, that's when you see that relationship managed really well and that's where you see it play out. The flip side of that is when it's not, what happens is day in, day out, my research showed that all these mini breaks and or we call them breaches to this contract. So and that, that could be as simple as the employee going, oh, they promised that, but that clearly doesn't happen. Okay, so that term of my contract changes. can be in relation to them. It can be them watching uh, peers and the treatment of them as well. And we have these tiny little breaches and they happen daily. And mm. in unto themselves, they won't break a contract, but the accumulated effect over time will ultimately end up in a breach and violation of that emotional contract and social and psychological contract. And that's mm. where you start to see a lot of negative behaviours play out and you start to see the effect on culture and then you start to see the effect on how they're treating customers, employer brand, customer brand, and it kind of goes on from there. So, again, a long-winded mm. answer, but hopefully a few ideas in there and a bit of an academic as well as a practical experience response to a mm. very good question. Oh, thank you. That's a great. Um, no, and it was <laughs> cracking, cracking response. And it, um, for people listening, I'd, I'd, my suggestion is hit pause, rewind about two minutes, and listen to that a couple of times. There is a lot of gold in that piece that was shared from Kelly. So, well, five minutes, whatever it was, just go back and listen. Um, really important. A lot of really interesting pieces and um, a couple of key points and. Uh, that, so that was gold, and I love the frame of the psychological contract. And I think there's a whole bunch of people now going, "Hang on a minute, uh, I get what Kelly's saying. Absolutely rings true. How do I define what might be existing right now? What? So I have people working for me. I have a team. I have personnel. I have. I'm working for somebody. Maybe. What the heck have I signed up? Like, how do I define this psychological contract so that it actually becomes a bit more known and understood? Because um, I think this the, the subtlety of any psychological contract, work or otherwise, that is not defined, particularly for those who are involved in it, you're at peril of breaking it without consciously realising. Exactly um, right. It's, the ac yeah. it's accidental, it's non-intentional, but it happens. So how do we define this one, Kelly? I'm, yeah. like, how do we get this on paper without yeah. getting it on paper? <laughs> it's really interesting and a lot of the work I end up doing with leaders and companies is exactly to that point is, well, yeah, how do I manage something that's effectively invisible mm. and at the end, end of the day exists within the head of an individual? Mm. So... Yes, it exists at the individual employee level, but we also have shared contracts. So I will extend my contract with the, the business to the experience of my peers as well starts to inform that. So on paper, what we're now calling this is employee experience. So we have seen a shift particularly in the last sort of five years, from employee engagement towards employee experience. Mm. And some people have sort of jumped right onto that and others are still back in the employee engagement space. And I mean, neither is better than the other. They are, to me, a natural evolution of how we manage culture. So engagement um, is awesome, but experience is actually a different level again and far more practical and active for a lot of leaders to directly manage than 
engagement because engagement still sits very much at that individual experience. Do I feel engaged? And then for am I acting engaged? Whereas employee experience is something that leaders and businesses can manage a bit more proactively. And when they do that with a lens of, okay, and how are we managing this social and psychological contracting that goes on in the business? If we are putting visible and consistent experiences in place, place and consistent really key here not once a year Mm. we went on a retreat once a year what an awesome experience does not stack up to day in day out experiences uh, that are really overt and reinforcing of the experience we wanted to create now when we create an experience again it's not one way we don't it's not event planning employee experiences are not events (laughs) they're not done with event planning it all went smoothly (laughs) we got great feedback on the form tick tick oh yes everyone should be very happy Happy psychological contract managed no these are these are two-way dialogue so how are the employee experiences creating conscious and active dialogue around the experience Mm. and inviting contributions to it so that the if i gave a silver bullet for managing psychological contracts invite contributions so if i Mm. if i was in your business um andrew and we were doing this live, um, I would be saying, right, Andrew, here's what we're trying to achieve as a business. What does that mean? Like, why is that important to you to work in a business that's going after that? Let's make sense of that together. Mm. And then I'd go, okay, Andrew, how do you want to contribute to that? Here are some of the challenges and the possibilities I'm seeing within it, but what do you want to add? How can you add, add to that? Like, I'm not scripting you. I'm not coming in saying, I've got this job that needs to be done. I've got these tasks. Do you agree to do that? Very transactional. To move that to a psychological um, contracting conversation, it's here's the job we think we need done, but ultimately what we're trying to achieve is this. What do you think? How else could you make, how, how can you shape that? How can you do that? And as we go more and more into new ways of working and industry 5.0 and five gens at work and all of that side of things that's happening at the moment and future work, it's even mm. more important to create this sense of um, ownership and flexibility that comes when you invite contributions contribution from someone. The minute I do that, I'm creating a space for an actual overt exchange where we can go, oh, so that's what you're thinking in this, but actually we need that. Oh, okay, we can come together. So it's no different to negotiating um, a contract in a boardroom. It's like, well, we're coming from this perspective, but we're coming from this perspective. Okay, let's get together. Uh, It's kind of the same. It's just on more of a socio-emotional level. Uh, Mm. The other question I love asking is, you know, how do you want to contribute to that? Um, dig down into that. So it's, okay, so what does that look like? And what do you need from me to be able to contribute like that? Which then opens it up for me to say, oh, I can't do that because of these reasons. What else would you need? Or does this change how you might contribute? Is a very different way than me just going, oh, well, you'll need this support from me. So here you go. Okay, good. Get back to me. Mm. May or may not have hit the mark with, with the terms of that. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious. I mean, you, you yourself, Andrew, are a business owner. Yep. You are part. You have built one of these entities of mm. social organisms that we're calling businesses. Um, and and you, I've heard you talk to me before about how you quite actively manage psychological contracts in your business. So I'm actually curious just to bring it to life a bit more for people as I'm talking. What's running through your head in terms of experiences or examples where you go, oh, yeah, I I recognise I instinctively did that or, oh, that's what happened there and, yeah, okay, that would have helped. Like what's coming up for you as a 
as a as an entity that is a better business. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're on, the, on the journey to a better business will take, um, and I think that's the cool thing I like about better. It doesn't finish; it's just ongoing. Yeah, it <clears throat> Not best. Best is a less useful term in my world and in my vocabulary. So, yeah, great question. And so, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for all these pieces again. A whole range of information there around because I was about to say, so tell us the difference between engagement and experience, and you did beautifully. Um, so for us and for me, uh, and I will happily say I get this wrong regularly, and I think that's a part of this. Um, yeah, definitely. It, it's that, so to me, the experience conversation also ties in pretty closely with vulnerability um, and also uh, a bit of courage as well. Um, 100%. Where having that conversation, because we are broadly, and I use a big broad sweeping statement here for companies, businesses, organisations, collective people, um, we are very good at saying, here's your PD, here's your job, just do it. And I'll set a meeting up every week for 30 minutes hmm. and tick that little box and away we go. Support you. <laughs> And 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 you know one of the other ones that I've heard, which has backfired beautifully so many times, is people talk. And I know I've done this. Most, Don't bring me a problem. Bring me a solution. Yeah. yeah. Actually, no. Bring me your problems. Let's work it yeah. out. You know. And and I'd yeah. love you to think about where you might be able to solve in that. But I'm also comfortable for you to bring me your problems too. So for us, it is that it is. Uh, like I said, it's a journey. We're still on the journey, and and I think it's that it's that co-creation piece, which is. I think most mm. uncomfortable for everybody. Um, actually, that question you asked there, like, how do you want to contribute? Here's what we're thinking. Here's what our goal is. Here's yeah. what the role is broadly looks like. Yeah. How do you want to contribute to this? What's yeah. what's the extra 5%? Like, so most people, they're showing up to work might be, I'm going to be you know, a little bit aggressive on this, 60% showing up. <clears throat> how do you tap into the next 20, 30, or even yeah. 40%? And I think that's the work that you're doing. And so for us, it's that, and we don't do this enough. I'll happily say that it's something we're uh, currently doing is beginning. It's this whole piece around. So um, how do you want to contribute? Here's what we need to get done. But what does that look like to you? How do you yeah. fit in? What can, We still need this. Yeah. And we yeah. also want your genius to show up. Yeah. Uh, inside this space and to use that in a way that's really meaningful because how I think it should be done, obviously, um, for me, I can't do the work, in a lot of cases, can't do the work as good as you can. I know that that's why you're here. Mm. Um, mm. And what I want is for you to show up. Yeah. And, and I, so, so it is about the, to me, Kelly, it's about the questions. It's about yeah. vulnerability. It's about saying, hey, I'm so glad you're here and I really appreciate you showing up and let's talk about how we can do this better. Yeah. Um, the better word appears a lot in our conversation. Yeah. I, I love that you use better. Uh, there's a motivational speaker, Louise Hay. Uh, she's passed on now, but she, she has some awesome work that she gave the world before she left. And mm. one that always stuck with me, relevant to what we're talking about she always said ask for something or better she mm. said and don't forget the or better she said who are you to constrain things mm. who are you to know absolutely this would be the best yes. always ask or better and leave that space and for me holding the space as a leader to invite contribution uh, you're right that takes vulnerability and that takes courage why because we've trained leaders that they should have all the answers 
Thanks. And we train our, our knowledge and our expert workers in business, especially, and our more mature career stage people coming through. Even our grads coming in, we say, oh, you've just graduated, you should know everything that's contemporary. The pressure for them to know, oh, that's that's what it needs to be. We instantly lock down and constrain. And for a lot of people, they can't give more than 60% at work. Yep. They've already constrained themselves or they've been constrained by by the expectations. And it's too too difficult or too tiring to constantly push and renegotiate against the processes and expectations that are constraining us. So that's yeah. a whole other conversation about how we release and make talent management more flexible in businesses. But I think uh, the example you gave of just holding that space to, to say, yeah, how do you want to contribute? What could that look like? And let's approach this from a perspective of we don't have to have the answers and we are having a conversation that never hits a full stop. It only ever hits a comma. And I, I say this sometimes to leaders and when I'm, particularly when I'm facilitating and it's a longer term program, um, okay, we're coming up to the time. So I'm just going to hit, hit a comma here, but this is a comma, not a full stop. I want to keep mm. talking to you. Yeah. And it really sets that expectation that, oh, we're not done. That's okay. Relieves the pressure, creates a bit more of a safer space um, and just gives people that permission and expectation to go, oh, okay. Yeah. Let me think through what better looks like and how I might add to that, suddenly we get above that 60%. Yeah. yeah. And there's a, some interesting, some powerful words used in there as part of that. And it's, a, again, it's another whole conversational set. But, you know, it because to me, this work that you're talking to, the psychological contract, also sits right beside this idea of psychological safety. Absolutely. Because if, yeah. if you don't acknowledge this contract mm. that exists, mm. then the safety will always be hard to get to. Um, and I'm just having a conversation recently with a CEO where they asked about how do I get my people to be more engaged and more psychologically safe? Mm. And for that particular organisation, um, my frame of that was uh, we so often, so one of the things they're doing, they're a high-risk industry, they're talking about, we want you to speak up, we want you to you know, yeah. to hold your, you know, and I said, well, it's interesting you want people to speak up, and yet in some levels we haven't even taught them how to speak. Yeah, yeah. And yet we ask him to go this much further and they aren't even comfortable in the speak space, let alone the speak up space. Yeah. What is, you know, yeah. how, how do you get there? That's that's the interesting, mm -hmm. like for you as a leader, how do you get your people just to speak? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> okay. yeah. But with this, so I'm, and I'll jump back there, that psychological contract, uh, I'd love to hear you thinking there around, you know, how does that, because it feels like, I'm going to get shot by some people here, but the whole psychological safety is very popular. Yeah, um, it's very popular right now. Very popular. And, and, it, and it needs to be. And when we bring it back to a frame of, I'd love to hear your thought, like we're talking about psychological contract, it feels like one way to unlock some of that conversation because that can feel a little bit overwhelming. Um, I think it's overwhelming. I think it's also being... Um, Abused is the wrong word. That's a bit contentious. Hijacked. I think I think like all things that come into fashion, uh, like transformation was a very big buzzword a few years back, very much in fashion, um, mm. psychological safety, it can then start to get held up as I don't feel psychologically safe right now because I don't yeah. want to do that. As And it's, it's like, well, actually, when we approach things from a psychological contracting point of view, which really, I mean, the fancy word for saying a promise, we've made a promise to each other. And that promise is a commitment to the future together. We've all, that's all it is. All the psychological contract is, is you and me going, yeah, I promise with you we're going into the future here. 
So if somebody's saying, I don't feel psychological safe, safety, the psychological contracting or the promise related to that is, okay, what's causing that? Because mm. clearly there's some terms of our contract going on. So help me understand that. Um, and it's interesting sometimes when you when you push on that and you tap against, okay, you don't feel psychologically safe. Um, I, I often flip it and go, okay, describe to me what would leave you feeling psychologically safe. And if people can answer that, they're genuinely feeling psychologically unsafe. If they can't, it's generally something else that they're labelling psychologically unsafe because that's a current buzzword. Um, and I'm not saying they're labelling it in, in a malicious way or a manipulative way they're just not understanding what it is so mm. there is with psychological contracting and when we start to really overtly manage manage them and we're managing our promises in the workplace we are again to your point taking that vulnerability and courage to say okay what needs to enter here for for that to happen for you to feel safe. So you're saying you don't feel like that. Don't tell me what feeling like that would look like. Tell me what needs to occur for you to feel safe. And because that is what we then build into our promise together around how we're going to work together because that's all that is, how we work together, what we're promising each other, the experience that we want to create as we work into the future together, that's part of my contract with you. So if I'm assuming and not vocalising that's going in this direction and you're assuming and vocalising it's going in another direction, yeah, at some point I'm going to start going, oh, I'm losing some trust here, and that's an easy bridge from that to, oh, I'm starting to feel a bit psychologically unsafe here and what's going on. I often say to leaders, permission is insufficient. You need to give permission and process. And essentially that's me saying you need to manage a contract here. You can't just go, here's my permission. I give you permission to speak up. You also need to go, I give you permission to speak up. Here is how. This is the process by which that that could look like. Here's the, that's what we're that is that's a psychological expectation right there, right? I'm basically yeah. inserting a term into our promise or our contract of here's how we have agreed to speak up. Yep. And then from there, you might need to take a lens in a business of now. Do we need to train them in how to do that? Do they know how to use? those processes or that way um, or that might just be sufficient for people to then go oh okay right um, and then what the leader needs to do is model that the other question I get asked a lot is mm. um, by leaders is oh how do I create trust I need to create trust to create psychological safety to get yes. people to speak up yes. and it's a really yes. simple answer you want trust offer trust it's the psychological contract, the promises we make, that relationship we have at work, it's an exchange. It's a two-way exchange. And we tend to mirror and map that. It's like any relationship. Somebody gives you a gift for your birthday. What, what's happening for you? You're like thrilled it's my birthday. A lot of people go, oh, I must remember when their birthday is so I can reciprocate. Mm. Same thing at work. If I want you to trust me, I'm going to actively show you I trust you. I'm saying in doing that, that's my expectation is that trust is implied. We start from a position of trust, not we have to build it. So I trust you to do that. Um, that's me going, okay, this is a promise into the future. I know I'm going to expect to see that back at some point. Uh, and to take that even further, you can you can make that overt to say, you know, I it's, it's this very simple statement. I'm astonished more leaders don't use it is, Andrew, I trust you've come to me asking if you can do this. I totally trust you to do it. Yeah, we're, we're clear on the outcome. I trust you to do that. Let me know what you need from me in order to do that. Mm -hmm. 
but I trust you to do it. You can be so explicit without having to say, oh, let's quickly just talk about the terms of our relationship here. Psychological contract, yeah. Yeah, you can actually just lift up that and and then just go. I, I the last team I led, um, I used to often have meetings. I'm a big thinker, and I'd have all these ideas. So I'd pull everyone together. I go, right, guys, here's my vision. And then I'd go, right, how do we make that happen? I deliberately wouldn't tell them how I thought we should get there. And I, I still do that in my business today. My business uh, mm. manager, Talia, and I am constantly going, here's what I'm thinking we need to do a jeep. And then I go, what? Huh? How do we get there? I don't know. And yep. she'll go, oh, well, you could do that. And I go, I would never have thought of that. Awesome. So it's a very <coughs> clear modelling of the type of relationship I want with my team, which is empowerment, two-way, support, constantly asking what do you need from me to do that rather than telling you what you need from me to do that. Yes. Uh, I'm setting all of these expectations. Now, to your point before, I get it wrong more than I get it right, and I know all the theory. <laughs> so it's not as simple as process steps tick, I've managed the contract. But when we come in with the vulnerability and the courage and the intention and the dialogue, what happens again is we're just inviting their contribution into our relationship. We're saying this is co-created. You used that word before co-creation, Andrew, and it's it's just critical, I think, to create employee experiences that lift people above the 60% contribution mark and keep them wanting to work with you. If it's not co-created, we lose the inspiration, right? Yeah, it just becomes yeah. work, the four-letter exactly. version, not the fun yeah. one. Um, yes. It's interesting. Two two things for people listening there. Um, two questions that Kelly keeps coming back to and cycling through, which I really think are important. That first one around, how would you like to contribute to that? So it's about the invite and it's about the openness. And be mindful when you ask that question. Be ready for the answer. It, yeah. It's not a it's not a token thing. It's a real thing. So Very. I think again, I've seen enough leaders who say, "How would you like to contribute?" I'd like no. No, no, bang, over, game, finished, like it's done. So be mindful that if you're going to introduce that, yeah. be ready for some unusual framing there. Um, and, and if it's the first time you've done it, it will be clunky and that's okay. Clunky will work. The second one I think is equally as important, it probably puts the icing on the cake, like it's a beautiful cake. Now I've got the icing, which is what you need from me to make that possible. What do you need? Um so I think if there's people, because I'm also suspecting there's some people out there sitting, listening, kind of going, man, um, where do I begin? And I think yeah. these two questions is a great place just uh-huh. to begin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't don't overthink this. Don't go into a sessions where you need to have everybody define their psychological contracts. Uh, and- no, don't do that. That's like the worst thing you could do. We don't need to over-engineer this. <laughs> it's just about creating the space yeah I think you're right you start there and you can also finish there um, sometimes too I do have leaders sometimes say oh but you know what if they do come up with something that I then go oh that, no we can't do that I'm like well two things that's then the conversation to be had that helps us align and that helps them then make a counter offer so just because they're making an offer of how they could contribute doesn't mean you have to accept it yes but it's helpful for, to know where they're starting from and then it's just we well, don't slam it down so they don't make another offer <laughs> explain yeah. why or, or how that offer might not fit and do they have a workaround people normally get there um 
But the other way to manage that too, if you're a little bit, oh, but we def- I definitely can't have them going in that direction. It's like, okay, so be clear on your non-negotiables. And that's where you start. You go, these are the non-negotiable terms mm. of our contract is the academic way of saying it. The practical yeah. way a leader might say that would be, right, what's absolutely can't be changed here is that we're being asked to do this and the business has decided to measure it in this way for these reasons. That's the only constraint we're working around. How do you think we need to go about this? Mm. Um, I've also seen leaders and coach leaders, particularly when they're new to role, I'll say pick your no more than three non-negotiables so that when you first sit down with a team, it's this is what's really important to me. Safety in the workplace is really important to me. I will never, ever compromise on that and I will be the first to pull myself and others up on that. You can guarantee that. Everything else around there, I really want your input to, but please make sure it's from a frame of this. That's not me dictating how they need to behave. That's me setting really clear expectations of this is what's super important and I, you are always going to come up against me if I feel that this is being broken yep. or attacked. But then yep. beyond that, let's go. How do you want to contribute? How can I help? All of that. So, yeah, it, it simple. Yeah. Like, it's important. Yeah, it is, and I think having that definition and not in the leader being visible, making the thinking visible to use your visible mm. frame is powerful. Mm. Two reasons. One, last conversation. But two, if someone can't operate in that context, mm. it allows them to see that and then to make choices. Absolutely. Let's be honest. Yeah. It ain't all beer and skittles or roses, whatever the frame you want to use. Sometimes it won't work. Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes these promises uh, and I love the frame of the promises, you know, that, that shift of thinking about a psychological contract, the promises that we make, often so unsaid, but they're still there. But sometimes it means that there's possibly too many promises or the person actually, you know, to talk about the trust piece, they can't offer trust yeah. back and it just may not work. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's and okay that's as okay. well. Like that's okay. A good outcome from managing promises in the workplace is when people arrive at, I'm not up for that. I'm not signing that contract. And we see this a lot. We we bring people in under one contract or one set of promises and then for whatever reason business needs shift, managers change, whatever. Now, that, that employee is still working from that baseline of expectation, right? But suddenly the business or the new manager's expectations are totally different and they're imposing their new ones onto the employee who's going, that's not what I signed up for. Yeah. So unless we give them the chance to go, here's what, you know, do you want to keep signing up for that? And a beautiful outcome is if somebody goes, look, I'm not up for that. I don't think I can do that. Or actually, I don't want to do that. Or if that's what it requires, I'm not doing that because it's going to mm. compromise over here. Beautiful conversation. And suddenly we're having a really elegant conversation about an exit or a redistribution of work or a rejigging of career planning or whatever it is, rather than the unspoken conversation, which just goes to, well, I'll just constrain my contributions and I'll start looking for another job. Mm. And I won't let you know because... Clearly, we can't talk about that. And you yeah. see that happen all the time in talent management. Beautiful outcome if somebody goes, I'm not up for that. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what you are up for or how we end the relationship gracefully and with respect. Yeah. And that is um, often done not so well. <laughs> it's going to say poorly, but I'll just say More not often so well. than not. 
And when it's done well, it is beautiful to watch. But yes, unfortunately, and, and, it, and it leads, yeah, and, and yeah, and you've. I think the most important thing in that is uh, if you're the person who can't sign up to that, yes. commit to that promise that contract, mm. you walk away with your integrity and in space in place still. Um, and I think that's a really important piece where the only self saying is only one thing that people can't take off you that you can yeah. choose to give away is your integrity. Um, and, in, and in those moments, you're standing up in that space comfortably and yeah. whether someone agrees you or not is kind of irrelevant because... Um, yeah, you know what... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so correct. Yeah. One of the, that's really cool. There's a, gee, there's a bunch of stuff and I think another tag and I'll put in there that you that you offered to people was this conversation around uh, permission and process and I think I want to get back to it because it's really important we often hear the conversation around but I gave them permission they can do it if like they could do what they wanted but (laughs) sometimes a person is locked in a cage they they don't have the key so you can say feel free to hop out whenever you want but they're still in the cage yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Help, help. Sometimes <laughs> there is a need to have a key. What? Yeah. What's the key? What's the process? I had a CEO uh, a while back say to me, I just don't understand. He said, I stood up at the annual meeting and I said to my top 200 leaders, I'm putting aside $100,000 for, actually, I think it was 500000 It was like half a million. It was not insignificant mm. um, uh, for, for brand new initiatives that might, you know, return value and um, so first in best dressed whoever gets access to it he said we're 12 months on I'm about to have the next conference and not one person has accessed it and I said well did you tell them how to access it oh no I'm like well you can't just give them permission here's a figure access the funds if they don't know how to do that in a way that makes sense for you he's like I literally offered the money I'm like yeah, but they're senior leaders. They're going, oh, they're going to expect a return. What is it? Oh, what's more important? What's that? Well, then try offering it again, this time with a process for applying for it. Yeah. Shocker, he had more applications than he had money for. So mm. it is it is real. Sorry, I'm making him sound like he was silly. He wasn't silly. He was genuinely confused mm. around why other people wouldn't take an initiative that he himself would feel quite comfortable to take. And the playback on that was, well, that's probably one of the reasons you're the CEO, because you have that instinctive initiative and proactivity that you would do that, but a lot of people don't. So permission plus process becomes really important. Otherwise, you're giving permission, but you're leaving them feeling too vulnerable to move. And people won't, uh, most people won't do the Indiana Jones leap, you know, at the Temple of Doom where he just takes the leap of faith and he lands on the bridge and it suddenly yep. appears. Yep. Most, there's not many of us are Indiana Jones, unfortunately. I'd love to meet a few more. He's pretty cool. <laughs> but you know, I have to admit myself, I would not have jumped off that ledge. Um, yes. Whereas, and, you know, give, give them a little, throw the dust out, let them see yeah. that little shape of the bridge at least, permission plus process. Otherwise, you're asking people to operate on faith and that's far too vulnerable a state for most people in a work environment. Especially... Um, at a senior level, I know. Especially because like, you're more exposed, right? Correct. Yeah. You, you have more to lose um, yeah. and you are far more visible. And yeah. it's interesting, you often get the CEO or whoever the senior leader who does that type of program and says, yeah, I would have. And, and really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. R- really? Really? Yeah. Because yeah. there's like always. <laughs> yeah, we all tell ourselves that we would. And yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 
And yeah, maybe. Not, yeah. You know, um, yeah. I think that's something from a leader. So there's people listening at the moment who are kind of going, right, um, I get that. And so, right, Kelly, I've, I've heard all these bits. So I'm going into the head of the people listening and leaders and yeah. or people in the team who want to influence in a different way. But that's yeah, again, sure. right. So lots of stuff here. Um, as a leader, how do I, I've got the fact that I can ask these couple of questions we talked about. Yeah. You know, how do you contribute and how do I help you? What do you need from me? Um, there's this other piece around um, just thinking through about the promises that are there and just that that in itself I think is gold. If people yeah. just realise there's all these promises made yeah. that they are, that are not defined. Yeah, and, 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 and as mm. Kelly said, yeah, don't go and run a workshop on undefined promises that would probably end badly. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and if you do, please don't call either of us. We're good. Uh, <laughs> or if you do want to call us. No so attribution have, required yes, if you yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, so if you do want to call Kelly and say we need you to, she'll say that that's not what we're, we're not going to do that, but we will do this. Yeah, but we'll so, do this. Exactly. So, so to do this piece, I'm interested, like what? What can people do in a pragmatic way and not just one-on-one, but even with the team they might be leading or even if they're leading a business, where yeah. Yeah. what's a, what's a step one, step two opportunity? Yeah, yeah. In, interesting. So there's there's a couple of audiences you pulled out there um, that I think are important to um, answer this question through a direct lens of that. Firstly is what if you're not the leader? So mm. what if you're the employee, for example, so not the CEO? Uh, you could be a frontline leader. You could be anywhere mm. in the business as not the leader. Now, when it comes to promises in the workplace, you're an equal partner. It's an equal exchange of promise and expectation together. Mm. uh, And you are in full power to sign up to or not. Now, the difference with somebody in a positional leadership role versus somebody not is that they just have a level of um, permission and authority and potentially power to um, push an agenda if they need to, unconsciously or consciously. That, so they are naturally in a structural position to start the conversation around how would you like to contribute and what do you need in order to do that? But yeah. if you're on the other side of that conversation and your manager's coming to you going, I need you to do this, how you can, your way of shifting that to a how can I contribute is, a, oh, great, can you help me connect? What's that ultimately trying to achieve? Can you give me more context? So that's mm-hmm. you signalling. Can you just connect that to the higher reason here? Uh, and then you can go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's the best way to contribute. And you go, okay, I'm in. Or you go, oh, yep, happy to do that. Could I also suggest this? Would this be useful? Could I also do this? So you can start to make, you can start to tweak your offering. So they come to you going, I want this from you. They're basically mm-hmm. saying, give me this. And you can go, uh, yeah, I could, or I could give you this. So you can make an offer. Now, to do that well, you have to come up to what's it trying to What's, what's the higher purpose here? What are we trying to achieve? Because yeah. only then can you have enough information to go, ah, this is the appropriate contribution. Yeah. So you can shift that first part of the conversation that way. And then mm-hmm. the, in the terms of what do I, what do you need from me to do that would be the manager question. On the other side of the table, it would be, um, yep, absolutely happy to do this. In order to do that, um, I, I'm going to need this or I think I'll need this or this. Uh, is that accessible? Can I have that? Or, um, yeah, I can do this. It would be really helpful if I can just have 30 minutes with you tomorrow. 
to just check I'm on the right track. Whatever it is you decide you need or, no, we could do that really quickly and that's going to take 50K. Do we have that in the budget? <laughs> okay, we might need to do it a little slower. <laughs> so, yep. so, again, you can start to just own some of the terms of your contribution and just start to flag this is what I'm going to need in order to do that. And what you start to do is just really flag to somebody that there's interdependency here. So I can go and do what you've asked but that doesn't mean you're now hands off and coming back to judge whether I've done it or not well. We can start to shift that dialogue. Now that takes practice and it takes a level of confidence and integrity in your own skill set to not just accept that how they're telling you to do it is the best way. So challenge that assumption if you're going to go into this space. Your first Mm. thing is do not assume what you're being asked to do is the best way. Think for yourself, is it? Is that how I want to contribute? And if not, okay, how do I start to have that conversation? So I think that's one really important audience to go, if you're not the manager, you can still approach these conversations like that and start to shift things. If that's the type of relationship and experience you want to be having at work, that's your promise set to choose, not mine. The other audience you pulled out, Andrew, was the HRDs. So our, our heads of HR, our HR people who are often tasked with, great, how do you do this on scale, please? What's the programmatic, what does this look like from a program perspective? Now, there's there's two ways of um, encouraging businesses to better manage promises at work. One is programmatic. I would argue there needs to be a level of either maturity or familiarity with a conversation, uh, the conversation that we've said and you've rightly identified start here. Mm. So programmatically, before I'm going out broader, I'm going where are my either my social leaders or my positional leaders that I just need to socialise this with first and they need to start modelling. Before we do mm. anything else, it needs to yeah. appear in the workplace so when you get to programs, it's already feeling familiar. Otherwise, it's just too... People either go, oh, it's all that fuzzy stuff, and they distance themselves. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just get back to the tasks here. Yes. Yeah, um, we've all been most, there. Yeah, most people, um, Brene Brown uh, does a lot of research in, in emotions, and mm. um, it's very sad. It makes me upset to share this, but one of the, um, the stats that she brings out is that she did this whole pile of research, and the average number of emotions that most people could name was three, three emotions, happy, sad, angry. Mm. Our ability, um, we don't train people in managing and putting a language behind how they are feeling and socio-emotional pieces at work are therefore very difficult for people to articulate. It's like we're asking them to speak a language they haven't been taught yet. So you go straight into programs where you're suddenly talking about this stuff and, yeah, people are going to go, no, not yet. Whereas if they've started to have some language come in, even if it's simple language like, oh, how can you contribute, what do you need from me, they've started to see a few things shift that's been put on stage, then you'd be ready to go into sort of more of a coordinated programmatic way. That's if you're taking a program approach. Mm. I think most organisations need to start with a a systems and uh, sort of a, I call it the the structure of the business first. So mm-hmm. we talked before about businesses being social systems. What's the structure that people are socially moving around? And yep. how do we make sure that those signals are communicating the promises we want? And a very simple example of that that I use with, with clients and I've introduced into a number of businesses now 
as you mentioned earlier, Andrew, we write out a position description. A position description, traditional position description, says here's what you will be doing, here's what you'll be responsible for, might list some KPIs, scale of responsibility, all of that. Very transactional, nothing in there about promises of how the experience will be and very little in there about promises around what the contribution will be. So we've seen position descriptions morph, particularly at the executive level, into success profiles and improvement that's still insufficient. They're now very focused on, well, we need them to do this, so we think they'll need these skills and capabilities and experiences to successfully do that, so we'll focus it on this. Mm. Awesome for recruiters. Great, they can go and tick their boxes. Still not getting us to a promise exchange. What I've evolved that to again is let's have a contribution profile. So this... Again, it's an evolution. It doesn't get rid of the task list, but it places up front, this role contributes to our purpose, et cetera, whatever language a business has. Like that's that's its point. This is the point to this role. Traditional job descriptions don't often say why this role exists. No. So let's just start there. We go, actually, we're hiring you because this is what we're trying to achieve. And then the first section on it is this is the three-year mandate. And essentially what that means is we need somebody to come in and create this shift or create this experience or build this. And it's done when it looks like this. So we don't talk a lot like that. We go, here's the, the tasks and you'd be managing this. Now, that's awesome if it's just to come in and run it and keep it going gig or a job that is repetitive and um, procedural and just on repeat. But a lot of jobs now aren't where actually the value add and the contribution that people want to make and can make is on improvement. It's better, right? Yep. How do yep. we make it better? Define the shift. Do that in terms of a mandate, do that, whatever that looks like. But the contribution profile starts up front with here's what we need created from this. This is the promise. We're, mm. we're saying come, come in and then, you know, you can break that down into first 12-month priorities. Again, we're setting promises. We're set, these are non-negotiables. We really need this sort of looked at. I'm still not saying here's what you'll do. I'm saying these are the problems you'll solve. These are the opportunities we want you to come in and explore. And this is ultimately where we want you to shift things to. Mm. And then we go, and we think you probably need some of these. So you still got all your other stuff. But at the, so, so this is often the very first tool that a candidate, internal or external, receives. It should have promise expectations outlined yes. in it because otherwise that person can't make a choice on if that's something they're interested in being part of. They, they are just coming in with their assumptions of, oh, a role with all of that responsibility and task. Yep, that looks good on my CV or I've done that before or I think it'll be like this. And then they get in and have to navigate all these promises and promise setting. So I'm using that as a simple tool. There's throughout the whole employee lifecycle and anyone in the HR space who's listening, please just take that as one example of go through all of your tools. Where, where are your talent management tools and processes and where yeah. are the steps within them that have opportunity to set a promise or set an expectation or ask a question of this is what we'd be expecting. Prompt that for dialogue. Uh, makes for a far more interesting um, interview at recruitment as well. Mm. So you can do that all the way through all of your training courses, basically any performance management conversations, everything that sits under talent management can be tweaked quite simply to just input a little, often it's a language thing that just prompts the manager to have a conversation. So I think that was a very long answer to your question. I think that I was good. 
think you have. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think yeah. that the, the seed I keep saying through all of this, and I'm sure people are hearing it, is um, this is done with, not done to. Yes, yeah, talks about co-creation, talk about like cooperation, collaboration, yeah. whatever word you want to choose to use. Yeah. It's yeah. with, not to. Yeah. And Absolutely. Wherever yeah. you can include the individual, mm. do so. Do. Yeah. You know, yeah. allow yeah. them the space because yeah. on a really practical level, tactically, but it's the more ownership they have of, the better they will be engaged with. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And if it's all, here's the thing we've created before, this thing that sits on a pillar and go and worship it, yeah, maybe if there's this co-created piece with, that's something they're going to go, I've got some, I've actually got an opinion in there. I've got got my sweat, sweat, blood, tears, whatever is in there. Okay, cool, I'm going to go a little bit further now. Um, and that matters. I get asked a lot, how do I create buy-in? I'm like, invite contribution is like literally the only way to get buy-in and skin in the game and everything, yeah. you know, felt accountability. Yep. You don't get that by telling people what to do. You get that by them committing themselves to, hey, yeah. I can do this. And it's not just white collar either. I, I just I want to pull that out as well. This yes. applies to anybody. As I said at the start, I started out as a frontline worker. It's, it's no different. It's how do you, what are the system um, pieces that allow and the permission and the process for you to hear from them firstly, yeah. so to your point earlier, they've got to have, they've got to have a way of yeah. contributing. But you don't have to pull everybody. You know, it was impossible to pull crew out of the aircraft to just, can you know, just pause the plane for a second at 40,000 feet. Let's just jump over here. We just need to have a nice workshop and talk about what's going on. No. But you can find other ways of, um, of, of sourcing that or, you know, uh, the airline I flew for, used to the managers used to hop on the plane yeah. and they just, whenever you had a Space. break between service, they'd just go, hey, what's going on? What can we improve? Awesome company at that time uh, because they did things like that. They, they would. They'd just walk out on the floor and say, hey, you guys are doing this all the time. How, how could it be better? What do you need us to do to make you, your jobs easier or better or and again you do have to follow the steps of they need to understand what we're trying to achieve so frame it up it's like you guys are doing an awesome job Uh, we've had feedback from customers that qualities like here you know if you were to make that better what would you guys be doing Um, questions like that and that again just inviting the dialogue with people it's it's even more effective with frontline workers it's not just with knowledge workers or senior leaders it's at any point and any point of career and I've had a lot of conversations recently about intergenerational workforces because we've now got the five workforces and hybrid yeah. work and everyone's like, oh, how do we bring them all together? I'm like, and I keep coming back to they're all still humans. Just recognise that people are at different points. Somebody who's at mature career should not need three days to do something that somebody at, you know, coming in Beginning. who's only five years in career will be correct. So if that person finishes in a day, Great, but if we're expecting the three, they'll probably take it if they don't see any point to offering further contribution. So, again, it's just have the conversation and recognise that people will bring different things to that. It does yes. take a level of vulnerability and courage to sit there and respond, and I don't think we respond with enough respect and appreciation to frontline as well as we do uh, potentially to more sort of knowledge workers who 
maybe have a better way of bringing it forward themselves. But it does apply across the board is my point. Yeah, you're spot on. And so I, I'm going to scream behind that and say, yes, preach on sister, because there's <laughs> yes. from the, a lot of the work we do is frontline orientation, high-risk operational workforces. And um, <laughs> it's so often we see organisations, uh, here I go, hiding behind that term. Yeah, so often we see people expecting of those frontline individuals, you've got to do it this set way because we're telling you how you can be safe. Yeah. Versus versus actually asking for some contribution and the work we do, yeah. one of the key steps of what we do is simple model, you know, thinking about work as it's done and you know, work is designed, documentation, et cetera. Work is imagined. One of the bosses, leaders, supervisors think is happening. And the last one's work is done. Sorry, second last one, work is done. What are people actually doing? Yeah. And the most important one for us, work is desired. If you were yeah. king or queen for the day, yeah. What would you do? And and the yeah. gold that sits between those that. four pillars is just huge. Yeah. Um, and to yeah. steal a steal a psychological word, you know, that's where you get to workers' flow. Um, Absolutely, and, yeah. And it, and it isn't hundred percent. It's a yep. lovely eighty to ninety, and that's awesome yeah. because yeah. those three will never, those four will never fully align for lots of reasons. Yeah. But as long as they're congruent, the organisation yeah. should be content. Yeah, um, but I agree. I think and it's making absolutely it overt important. and giving them the Correct. opportunity to opt out yes. again is really important. Because if everyone yep. else is signing up and they're going, "Oh, it's not right for me," then most people will go, "Yeah, it's not right for me." Like a peer pressure piece, the managers won't have to do that. Peers will work that out. And yes. if you're creating the environment where they can then come and say, "Look, I'm just not sure that I'm up for that," it then goes, "Okay, cool. Well, what what are you up for? Or how can we support you to go on to your next thing?" It's very yep. different way of approaching it than traditional. Oh, well, no, that's what we need done. So you'll just have to suck it up. Yes, that's okay. what you've got to do. <laughs> So that's brilliant. Yeah. We're getting close to, and there's so many other questions I can ask, but I also commit to people that we <laughs> set about the hour. Um, the two questions has now become four. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the original two we talked about in the first one, I think, and I just want to put them out there and get them qualified by you. And the yeah. first one is, first step, and it's a question I was first step of the process is, being clear of where you want to head. What is the goal? Where are we heading? Here's the agenda. Here is... Um, clear on expectation. Mm-hmm. The second one um, is around what's not negotiable. Yeah, just being clear, it isn't a free for all. Here's the space yeah. that that and usually there's plenty. Um, mm. And then it comes to the conversations. You know, how, how do you want to contribute, and yeah. what can I do to support you? What do you need from me? You know, I think if people wanted to go and have a play with those four, yeah. Is that a fair, is that a good place to start? To yeah, play? I think if you're looking to play as an individual, start with the last two, just with your immediate people yep. around you. Start going, okay, how can I frame this into um, how are we offering contributions or creating the space? That, how am I inviting and mm. how am I offering contribution? And then how am I um, vocalising what I need or can offer to make that happen? So those, that. Yeah. How can you contribute? What do you need for me to do so? Or if you're on the other side of the table, here's how I could contribute. Here's what I'd need to do so. Mm. Start there as an individual. 
if you're in a role where you're going, oh, I want to scale this a bit, that's where you would come up to the first two questions. You cannot scale this until people are clear on what's the whole point. Yeah. Um, if you're going to go down a programmatic route and bring people together, it is an, an awesome strategy. As I said, there's probably some uh, pre-work you want to be doing to sort of seed things, but that can be really, really effective and I've run so many workshops now where you bring people together and managers are oh, they're not going to contribute they're not going to do this they're all over it because we start with here's what ultimately we're trying to achieve this is the purpose so we're suddenly talking about purpose not kpis mm. kpis might come up but they're not the focus it's, here's what we're trying to do this is what we're trying to achieve and we're not scripting how we're going to do that we're actually just describing end state possibilities and inviting um, I, I, when I'm facilitating, I'll do two things. I'll say, okay, so we've heard that. So stop. All right. Firstly, questions to understand this. And then secondly, questions to interrogate, challenge, add, whatever. But firstly, to understand, please. So mm. make sure if you're going to that first question, the, the, the gold out of that is aligned understanding. Far too often we skip straight to, right, who has questions? And before people can ask the questions, people have moved into changing it or adding it. So just hold yep. the space there when you're doing the purpose piece. So purpose, what is it we're trying to achieve? Secondly, what's the direction? These are the likely risks and opportunities that we're, we've already identified. And then the invitation is what are the other ones? What aren't we seeing? This is what we know, but what mm. aren't we seeing that's ahead? This is where you start to really flick into a future readiness conversation, which you need to with promises because promises are a commit, shared commitment to the future. Mm. So you're going, here's what we're trying to achieve. This is the point to it. Let's get clear and make sure we're all, yep, that's that's good. We're not missing anything. Then it's here's the direction. We're anticipating this to hit us, risk or opportunity. What are we missing? There's the invitation. And mm. then it's, okay, cool, in context of that, what can you do? And a simple way that I run that if you're looking for a programmatic approach um, and you're working with a group is I will have stations around a room. Um, for example, I've, I've done this with a lot of sales teams. And we, we go, this is what we're trying to achieve. So you, you, you start by putting everything out there. You have those two conversations, what we're trying to achieve. Here's what we think is coming that we need to anticipate and juggle. Now, in context of all of that, in this corner of the room, there's what can you as individuals do as you leave this room now to start contributing to that? And what do you need from the execs standing here or the managers or whoever to do that? That and you don't need anything else. It's just you can do that now, agreeing as a team. In this corner of the room, it's what do you need your managers to in order what do you what do you think we could do that requires something of the managers before we can do it? And in this corner, it's and what do you think we can do to achieve this? But you're going to need the support of more senior again. Um, and sometimes, particularly sales team, I'll have my fourth corner, and this is what we'd need from suppliers or customers or, or a union or whatever is sort of contextually now this one here the first one of what can you do now that you don't need anything else you can start now that's the most powerful they literally leave mm. the room going yeah we're going to do this and they stand up and they go we're going to do this to add to all of this and then they don't even need the permission from the managers the workshops the permission they just go right so suddenly we've given them process right we've given them break mm. it down for me for your process for what you need now you're saying you're going to do this and you don't need anything from anyone else to go and do it as a team. Cool. How do you want us to check in and hold your account on that and make sure you don't need something out of it? So those are the types of conversations I'd be encouraging and a very simple structure is just pull it out. What you're doing with that 
is going, where does the promise sit? The promise here at that what can you do as this team and you don't need anything from anyone else, you can just agree to do that, that's the promise among team members. The board of now what do you think you can be done but you're going to need some support or resources or whatever that facilitated by your managers, mm. that's the promise between those employees and the manager. And then the, the board over here with executives, support or whatever it is, the same thing again. All you're doing is breaking the promises down and getting really clear and overt agreement that, yeah, that's what that's what it is. Okay, and well, let's regroup. So hopefully that's a bit of a tangible. Yeah, it's awesome. There. It's really so, tangible. And, and I would, you know, my, my counsel in this moment would be absolutely play. And my other reflection would be if this is of significance, talk to someone, please talk to Kelly and actually ask for some help because oh, yes. this, this 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 work is significant mm-hmm. in setting, often it's a choice. Um, people often come to this place, uh, my experience, and I'll test this with you, Kelly, it's they kind of go, what's been, what's been doing ain't working. We yeah. need to do something a bit different. Um, yeah. How do we engage differently? How do we operate differently? How do we do it differently? Um, and, you know, inside of that is often where we want to get to this place of promises is often broken ones. So that have to be the, healed. The, the acknowledgement of what didn't go so well. So it's a pro so there's a whole another process there. I just would I would say yeah. play with it. And yeah. if it's a significant piece, you know, Kelly's info will be all in the underneath this podcast. Yeah. Give her a call, have There's a so chat. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and and you've only heard a, you've only heard a snippet of her brain, so there's so much more. <laughs> Just, a little bit of slice, um, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's as simple as if this is resonating with you. Just look around and you can start with yourself too. You don't even have to start with other people. You can start Absolutely. by saying, how do I want to contribute? And if I was working with somebody, I do career coaching occasionally mm. with people as well. And it's the first question I ask. Don't assume that what you set with you, the promise you made with yourself when you were a 20-year-old grad about what a good career looked like. Have you asked yourself that question since? Because as mm. a 30-year-old, it's going to look different. And as a 40-year-old, it probably looks different again. So are you actually checking in on the promises you've made to yourself by asking, hang on, what's important to me right now and how do I want to contribute through my career? And what do I need to be able to do that? And be prepared for that to throw some stuff up. You might go, yeah, Yeah. actually, I'm exactly where I need to be. Awesome. Good validation on your current career role choice. (laughs) But you might also throw that up and go, oh, I'm not really able to fully contribute. I'm probably at 60% there. And yeah, I'm feeling a little frustrated and maybe it's because I really want to contribute in this way and I'm not currently able to. Oh, what do I need to be able to do that? Okay, and kind of just can open up your thinking a bit just personally. Now, if you're doing that for yourself first, you're automatically going to be shifting the promises you're making with the people around you anyway because you start to vocalise this is what's important to me in a work relationship. And by relationship, I don't mean person to person. I mean you to the system of humans in which you are working and experiencing life. Mm. So start with yourself. What's your own contract or promise to yourself with regards how you contribute through your career? Awesome question. And as Kelly said, it'll it'll kick into your whole the community that sits around you. It isn't just work; it will be relationships, family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Or, or it, it will touch all those places. So great recommendations. And all the box, fair warning. Yes, and and <laughs> yes, 
maybe a little lumpy, as yeah. but at the same time will be will be incredibly valuable if you push through that piece. Yeah, um, yeah. That's really good. Um, last question we always ask, and and yeah. I, I, before I go, there, also that has just been a, I use a big word, a big word for me, plethora of information, just huge amount of info. Um, inside that space, and I think people will find it deeply practical um, and useful. So, thank you, Kelly. As a as a parting gift to them, on top of you know, we're looking for the cherry now. We've had the cake, we've had the icing. Now we're looking for the sprinkles of the cherry. Um, one thing, one thought, one yeah, just one that if you wanted, if nothing else, think about this. People who are listening, here's you know, this is this from Kelly. Mm-hmm. Avoid over engineering. Or overcomplicating this. It's actually as simple as how do I want to contribute and what does that take? And it's interesting the temptation often is to zoom right into all the details and over-engineer it and over and over and straight away we're, we're constraining and we're very, very good at constraining ourselves. If we come right back to the point of this podcast and people who are listening are, I hope, already in this headspace of just keep it simple of how do I want to contribute to better? What does it take for me to contribute to better? And what are the small tweaks and changes I can make in the world around me or the systems um, and ways of leading and navigating talent in a business that, that do that without, you don't have to scrap everything and start again with these concepts. The promise already exists. All you need to do is tap into it and go, oh, okay, what if I just reframed it like that? So keep it simple, avoid over-engineering and start with yourself first from a frame of better. Yeah, serving self is not self-serving inside this space. Um, Well, i got to say that uh, better people, better business is better for your conversation and your wisdom. Um, It's been an absolute delight. As we said, as we always say, there'll be some info in the in the show notes below around how to contact Kelly. If you'd like to find out more, there's all the usuals, the social type world, uh, her website, etc. But all that detail will be there. Um, and <clears throat> lucky to everybody, um, Kelly's kind of had a deliberate hiatus for a little window of time, and she's back. And I think it's really yeah. exciting. Where um, done a lot of thinking around. Uh, that's another conversation for another day, but lots of great thinking through that window and back out there and having amazing conversations with people and keen to uh, help transition organisations through the type of conversation we had today. Um, So thank you, Kelly. It's been a delight. My absolute pleasure, Andrew. Thank you so much. It's an awesome opportunity to contribute to a dialogue that needs to be amplified around better. That's what's carrying us forward to the future. So thank you for having me on the show. It is a pleasure. And to everyone who listened, thank you for your time and patience. And I, as always, if you want to have a chat, give us a holler. Um, always open for a conversation, a yarn or any other frame. And, uh, yeah, again, thank you for listening. And I hope you've got something out of it. And have a fantastic day.